When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of Pataroni, buddy. And on this episode, I'll be talking to Mark Mayer, who's a UK-based comedian. In the meantime... I am actually doing a gig in June, which is a drive-in comedy show. This could be the new way that people are engaging in live comedy. I believe the Laughter Lounge may be doing some uh, as well. Uh, well, yeah, people... Well, I don't know what it's going to be like exactly. I believe it's a live comedy gig and the audience are all in their cars. Now, I don't know how that's going to work. But I am doing one. Um, I don't imagine they're able to... Do you think you can hear them laughing? I heard that applause might be... Uh, might be honking the horn of your car. That's applause. But that could also be a heckle. And how do you... What kind of put-down can you use for a honking of a horn? Yeah, answers on a postcard, please. Thanks very much. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing that. Um, but that's it. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll see how that goes. And I was actually talking to someone about doing gigs in July in Europe, but uh, I kind of said, well, hang on. Could you hold back a bit? Because I'm not sure if I'd be able to travel to Europe in July. So I've uh, I've put the kibosh on that myself. And said, no, I'll do it in, I'll, I'll book it for September. Because, uh, I've already had to cancel gigs in Europe around, um, April. Don't want to go through that all again where you, uh, book it and do the posters and the gigs, tickets are selling and then you can't go and do the bloody gig. No, I don't want that, mate. But uh, it does feel like things are beginning to open up. And who knows, maybe drive-in comedy could be the future. Also, of course, I am doing improv every Monday night on Zoom. And you, that's with the Dublin Comedy Improv. And uh, it's going very well. Uh, have a look at that on the Dublin Comedy Improv social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. In the meantime, today I've been uh, having a bit and to and fro online with some of the, uh, you know, those people who believe in all the conspiracy theories. They're anti-vaccine. They believe the chemtrails, chemtrails uh, that, that the airplanes going over are 
dropping chemicals on us. They believe in the Pizzagate. If you don't know that, it's a, a conspiracy theory that said the Clintons and Barack Obama were involved in a paedophile ring which operated out of the basement of a pizza restaurant in Washington, D.C. Unbelievable. Uh, and uh, I think there might be a little bit of the uh, the coronavirus as a hoax or something. Or maybe, maybe the vaccine for coronavirus will be another thing that will be just uh, told to take. And I don't know what it's meant to do. To it. Is it meant to turn us into zombies? Not sure. But anyway, they're all over the place now. There's a few of them. And... Uh, and they're always online. Like, don't get into an argument with these people because they they have all day. They seem to have all fucking day to stay on Facebook. Uh, whereas you and me, us people, we've got to do things. These people will never seem to have to do things. The minute you write something, they reply immediately. And I think that might be part of the problem. They're stuck online constantly, but they're very angry. And they, and, and they really believe that they've woken up and that we, we believe lies. They believe that there are hundreds and thousands of people in on a massive conspiracy to do what? I don't even know what to do what. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, why are they giving us the vaccines that are so full of poison? Uh, why, why are they doing that? Is it to make us? Like, I'm not a zombie, I hope. Woo! Anyway, uh, but God, uh, why did I get involved? Because you get involved in these arguments, they go on for age, and then they all pile in. There's loads of them. And they, they put laugh emojis on, on a lot, a lot of things as well. They, that's, their comeback. Laugh! Oh, oh, hilarious, he thinks. He's not awake. <laughs> <It's> hilarious. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Okay, I'm just going to leave it. I'm not going to carry on with these things. You end up having to go and research the bullshit that they say and to try and prove it wrong and you could be there all day. Maybe a good podcast though. Um, conspiracy theory podcast. Uh, I'd like to interview some of these nutcases. Would I though? I don't know. It's very similar to, I guess, to religious nutcases as well. They kind of want to, they kind of want to feel like they know something that nobody, that most people don't know. And they want you to wake up, but really they don't want you to wake up because they want to be able to laugh at you and go, he thinks, he thinks like he's still believing in all the, the, uh, stuff the government and the ma mainstream media are telling him. What an idiot. I know. Uh, they also have very bad grammar. But anyway, that's, what I've been doing today, um, but, uh, but listen, this is a great podcast. It's a really good f for, uh, chat about comedy and, uh, the art of comedy. 
with the wonderful Mark Mary. He was in his garden, so you can hear the chirping of birds. It was quite pleasant on his side of the conversation. On my side, my son came in and started cooking lunch while I was doing the uh, interview. But I managed to um, most of that noise out. But these are the uh, things you have to go through when you're on lockdown. I'm not in a studio anymore. I'm bloody well recording things on my phone at home in the kitchen. Okay, well, enjoy this. Mark Mayer. from Mark? I'm from Newcastle in the northeast. and yes I've lost my accent. And you come from like a working class background? No, it's middle, more middle class sort of background. I'm, I know that's certainly not very street or hip in the, <laughs> in the comedy circuit, in the comedy world but um, yeah I know uh, very privileged. <laughs> no no about it. Um, uh, uh, not, not not posh, but um, yeah, it's a middle class sort of yeah. background. And uh, were you into performing when you were uh, at school? Or? I loved, yeah, I mean, I was basically incompetent and everything else. Um, I liked English, I liked drama, I was always interested in acting and characters and all that sort of thing, and I joined um, a thing called People's Theatre, which was a kind of a little Saturday workshop that your parents would ferry you off to, but actually it wasn't sort of enforced because I really enjoyed it. And um, same place, around the same sort of time, I think Ross Noble was there as well. So, oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. So that was a Saturday morning kind of thing, and then I just sort of got hooked, really, with kind of performing or seeing comedy. Um, but comedy was something yeah. that uh, garnered your interest at that young age. You know? Yes. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. The class clown, the fool, always messing about at school and, you know, mm. um, not taking things seriously. Uh, as opposed to my two older brother, my two older and younger brother, who uh, were more academically minded. And so when you finished school, did you go to college? I went to Hull College and studied uh, art and design, graphic design, where I, uh, yeah, I got a degree in graphic design and went into advertising so as a, that was my as a, a, as a, as a copywriter. copywriter so similar enough to writing comedy I suppose <coughs> well yeah I mean it's a, it, it's something I quote quite often how did you make the transition from you know one to the other when really advertising is selling a product and comedy is just selling yourself isn't it it's just um, mm -hmm. I like that whole process in advertising. I moved into radio advertising. That was my some sort of general copywriting. I really sort of fell in love with radio advertising and did that for a while. I lived in Edinburgh for a while doing it there. And then I went and saw a friend in America who was getting married. And I had dual nationality because my mother's American. So I could work over in the States. And I found a job in advertising in Hollywood in Los Angeles writing radio ads, oh. which was just like a dream come true. So I did that for about a year and a half. Uh, and that's kind of where I got introduced to sort of stand-up um, properly. Um, but the, the connection, I thought, was with, particularly with radio, where you've got to sell a product in 30 seconds. There's no, there's no opportunity to 
fanny about with, you know, extraneous words. You've got to get to the meat of the subject without sort of flouncing about. And I thought, for me, that's the best kind of comedy. I know there's different styles and bloody blah and what have you, but I like the economy of words getting to the nub of the joke or routine as quickly as possible. So that's the basis of copywriting isn't that different from stand-up. So uh, along the lines of like Jerry Seinfeld, a bit like that. Exactly. Yeah, that sort of style. Or my, I was my hear my example is Woody Allen. So if you listen to his, I don't know if you've heard his nightclub years, which I think is probably one of the best standalone comedy albums because there's not there's not really a word wasted in a lot of his um, you know in a lot of his routines. The words are there for a particular reason, particular purpose. There's no extraneous sort of waffle. Um, and yeah, Seinfeld is another example of that. And so. Do you write down your... Yeah, I still do. I still write it down, type it out. And then for a while, I, I still take what I do, listen back on the tape and look at my notes and go, what, what the hell was it? What was that? Yeah. Waffly bullshit for... Or, or even reacting with things in the audience, you know. Um, and it's been quite a useful tool. I won this competition thing a couple of years ago, the, the, this thing that was running called uh, Petworth, fringe thing I yeah uh, well i actually just read about that uh <laughs> yeah so that was quite a nice little prize to win and um i knew i had seven minutes and all i did was exactly that discipline of right let's get rid of i, I hate hello good evening how's everyone doing all that so i just literally went in with the first gag and tried to make it as compact as possible and then listened back and it was a great little exercise i mean for seven minutes to go right well actually those two words i don't need what how do, are they adding anything and there's i mean you know and then it comes to a 20 minute set and you get lazy you go oh sod it it's been working for years i'm not going to bother with that right but really it's probably quite a good thing to do to yeah and that prize is a new prize a new Competition, a new prize. It was Newish. It's been running three years. Ten thousand pounds, quite nice. Ten thousand one. Sorry, and one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Making it. I mean, you don't need to, you know, play the thing down. But, that one pound is all important. But making it one pound more than the. Well, it's not the, the Perrier. But it's not the Perrier. <laughs> That's why. Yes, it was. Yeah. I think the whatever mm -hmm. it is. The special brewery. Right, and so is that kind of... That's interesting, because um, in Edinburgh, I would have thought the the taste for kind of... That kind of comedy seemed to have, cha seemed to have changed more towards personal kind of confessional-type shows. And so is this kind yeah. of a backlash again towards what would you call comedy, real comedy? <laughs> kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah. Traditional alternative stand-up comedy. Yeah, I don't know. Edinburgh is a bit of a lottery, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So when you were in uh, LA, uh, is that when you started performing comedy? That's when I started doing improvisation. Oh, okay. I was it more? Well, it came hand in hand. I used to be a part of a weekly stand-up um, co comedy competition at a at a bit at a Marriott Hotel, and they ran this competition for open spots. So I just wrote down stuff. And being English, I have no illusion that that was the reason I was winning. I won about two or three in the trot. And the prize was a buffet for two at the Marriott on a Sunday afternoon. And you, can, you know what portions are like in the States. So I just sort of went back week on week, just slightly fatter, <laughs> doing the same routine, but a slightly larger version of myself. So for three weeks in the trot, I managed to sort of pull my 
comedy English out the bag, and that all sort of seemed to work well. So that was that. That was literally, I mean, first venture into it. But um, you know, being English over there massively helped. Yeah, really, it, the accent. Yeah, yeah, the accent, and yeah. You know, oh my God, they do com- You do comedy? Oh, you do that in England? Oh, you know, say say garage again. <laughs> yeah. There was a, a short time when uh, having an Irish accent was a big advantage in the UK, actually. Just, it was a... Yes. Well, I know uh, the likes of Ed Byrne and, and others, Tommy. Well, I think it still has the... There's an added... You know, when, still now, you, think? Say, you know, when Irish comics are over, I think it just adds an extra layer. It's an extra thing to listen to, to enjoy. Mm. They, they, uh, and I think they it's that, kind of... Yeah, am I wrong? I mean, obviously... The comic need. I mean, I'm not denigrating. If if you're a good comic, that is the that is the that is the number one uh, priority. But if you have that extra interesting tone or yeah. to your voice that, let's say, in the UK we're not that used to hearing, then I think that's kind of yeah, really, yeah. You you look like you look like. Well, I just think it probably had. There was a, a heyday of of Irish comic. Uh, not saying that there was a lot of really good Irish comics but also I think when Father Ted came out it was particularly fashionable to have an Irish accent Uh, and and I remember doing stand-up in London at the time and um, things that I would would say I would say feck you know and and then I found I was adding in extra fecks Because they just got a reaction. Keep, why does he keep saying Blarney? He's never said Blarney in his life before. What's he doing? That um, but which is like America is really the. I would say that you know it's the home of stand-up, isn't it? It's, it's been going well, like stand-up as opposed to sketch or or comedy is is a, a very I think ink. I find it incredibly exciting. I mean, I thought I had a great time over there. And, and I think, yes, I think what the Americans have over the Brits, this is a broad generalisation, is performance. One of my favourite acts when really got the bug for stand-up was a guy called Sam Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff. I mean, a former preacher and filth. But, my God, what a performance. It was like a tornado. It's one of those acts you just see. It's like when I first saw Eddie Izzard. Because um, I was, I started slightly later than him. I mean, I've been doing about twenty-seven years. I say about because I know it's exactly twenty-seven years. Um, but Eddie had that same sort of just the performance that coming on the stage like a world. I mean, I never saw Sam Kinison live, but he had that just that raw energy that you know you weren't waiting to hear what his first line was because he was already funny. Mm. You know, um, just an incredible. Whether you believe, agree with this politics or whatever, um, just as a force of nature, brilliant. So I'd say the Americans, yeah, have they don't have that self consciousness that possibly. But then the American audience will get into that kind of an act. Whereas I don't know if the British or Irish audiences, I think they'd sit back and go, "Ooh, what's this?" There's the American yeah. audience going, "Woo!" This, you know, they're they're loving it. Yeah, absolutely. I did something recently in the States and I had been there for a long time and it's just particularly woo crowd and I had like three or four kind of applause breaks 
for gags that I've been doing over here for years that I've just gone, right, that's a tough bit, let's get on to the next bit. I'm going, and I almost wanted to go, what are you doing? Just, uh, stop taking the piss. Uh, no, don't do this. When, of course, it was delightful, but just threw me slightly because I'm going, wow, you know, it's nice. Um, so, so then, like, did you, uh, you did a few slots in LA and what came back to the UK then? Uh, yeah, I did mostly improvisation. So that was my thing. I got into a thing called the LA Connection, which was a, um, an improv, and again, being British helped. And it was just comedy sketches like, Whose Land Is It Anyway? And really massively got into that. Came back and started my own group in Camden. Uh, my, uh, <coughs> my claim to fame was amongst the, amongst my, um, illustrious, um, class was, uh, Catherine Tate. So I used to teach her, and we became really good friends. Um, teacher, uh, improvisation. We did sketches and stuff together. But that really sort of, and then we did an Edinburgh show. A few of us did an Edinburgh show together. So that really, um, I find that very exciting. And it's a great skill to have when you're improvising for, uh, stand up generally, particularly comparing. I think it's a, a useful thing to have, not to shy away. Yeah, I love improv. I, I'm in a group here in Dublin and, and I've performed with Steve Frost and, Andy Smarks and those. Uh, so, uh, stand-up came a bit later then than improv. Yeah, it kind of sort of hand in hand, but then I came back to London and carried on uh, sort of earning a proper living doing writing. I worked in a radio station doing radio ads. Uh, and then I started doing a few voiceovers because I quite enjoyed doing voices and characters and just got in touch with one of the agents. So I was writing ads performing occasionally in ads and then doing a bit of stand-up and then because i was i was um freelance contract with uh, the radio station i just sort of thought well i really fancy working on the stand-up more so when i had any free time i was writing the stand-up and then just sort of moved fully into stand-up all those years ago and you've written a few radio shows as well a few bits and pieces not for a while but yeah i wrote some stuff my brother's a very good comedy writer he's quite he writes a lot for people like Harry Hill and uh, his name's Dan Meyer. <clears throat> so I've written stuff with him and fun funny enough, very, very um, topical. Uh, we wrote a thing, two series together called Trapped for Radio 4 about people trapped in physical or psychological or emotional situations. So yeah. All standalone stories, a bit like Inside Number 9, but they were all... So he and I wrote those things together and um, it was great fun. Um, there's one comedians backstage at a comedy club all trapped in their claustrophobic space and every time a comedian would go on stage the other three would have a bitch about them and they'd come back and it'd be nice and, so it was, you know, or ski lift was another one and it was great it was very good fun it was exciting oh uh, what were they uh, how long were those pieces each? half an hour or 27 ah. minutes yeah okay for radio yeah radio 4 was it radio 4 yeah <clears throat> probably dig it. I've got them on CD somewhere gathering dust. What are CDs, my children ask? <laughs> but, um, there was one we did, funny enough, and I was looking back over and I'd completely forgotten about it, just looking back through old dusted copies. There was one, it was a four-hander on a chairlift and the chairlift breaks down halfway up a, halfway up a mountain and the whole scene is about the four, how the four, two couples get on. And my wife was Olivia Coleman, <laughs> which yeah. I just was like, oh my God. You know, because at then she was just a jobbing actress, not a bigwig. So that was, I mean, this is going back 20 years, I think, when we did this. Well, um, cool. So it was quite fun. It was quite fun to look back at these things. But I've sort of lost the, 
mojo, I suppose. If I try to revisit it and do it all again, I suppose I could. But that writing side is kind of not gone, but I haven't really had anything that's excited me. I've got, a, I've got, I had an idea for Edinburgh, but I might just do it as a standalone thing. Right, yeah. So I was going to ask you then: Did you do? Did you do uh, an Edinburgh show, or have you done I've, a few Edinburgh shows? I've done a few, and then the sort of wind was knocked out of my sails when I, just, I got a bit cynical and thought, I don't know. I just sort of felt. Um, I think what you were alluding to before: it's, it's the stand-up has taken a bit of a backseat, and it's all heart-wrenching, you know, confessional stuff. I know some really brilliant stand-ups have got they've got just been completely overlooked. Um, I can be overlooked at home and not cost me thousands. Uh, so. <laughs> I don't know what you want to get out. It's really important to think what you want to get out of it. I think for Edinburgh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's actually the radio thing. I, I did a thing called um, <coughs> Objects, which is probably the best bit of work I've ever done um, in terms of being proud of it and not necessarily, you know, critical acclaim. I had three reviews, which came on the la- literally the second last day of festival. They reviewed everything else. I will come and have a look at this, mm. and it was a story, autobiographical story about, you know. My life, funny enough, being autobiographical. And um, the whole premise of it was if objects, inanimate objects, could talk, what would they say? So from my childhood to sort of present day, so a, a pen that had left the top of a pen in a, in a you know, box of pens that my mum would tell me to put the pen, top back on the pen, I became the pen. You know, a, a little mm. costume or a grain of sand, because we live near the beach, a grain of sand on the beach, and this perspective of the grain of sand being one of a thousand grains of sand or a, you know, a single sock lying in a sock drawer missing its partner. So I'd be, I'd be, did different characters, different voices. So I'd tell the story, the lights would fade and then I'd become that character and the lights would come up again. I'd be back to carrying on the story. So it was a bit, you know, it, it was a monologue, but each of those little standalone bits were, and, um, oh, I just absolutely uh, adored it, Joe. It was such good fun. I've got it on VHS somewhere. I mean, and I've yeah. got to dig it out and find it because it was, like I say, I put so much effort, I put costumes, um, original music, uh, you know, and I had the whole, the whole set. Wow. And uh, put so much effort into it. And there was, it was in some bizarre little tunnel of a place in the underbelly, a big cavernous sort of metal, I can't remember what it was called, but it was some room which was just, just wrong for it in every sense and you know workmen should never blame their tools but i was just so keen somebody offered me a space yeah i'll grab that without thinking yeah. actually i've spent over a year writing this thing I've, I've maybe don't go to edinburgh do it you know and i did it in london and i've got some really nice reviews out of it and radio yeah. 4 said if you can rewrite it for radio which i did they'll commission yeah. it and they did so that that was nice so oh that sounds it. amazing i wonder if i could find that then i'm gonna have a look see if i can find it yeah it's called oh. obje- objects Right, yeah. I could try and send you a link to it. Yeah, yeah, it was great fun. So, so you feel that? Would you feel that? Um, I mean, if you're a club comic, for example, you don't have you. You have to. You, you don't. You can't get into that kind of depth that you would get if you did a, an Edinburgh show or, or a radio show. And does that frustrate you? Um, no, I think it's almost like two different jobs. Mm. I think being a club comic, I still, you know, after doing it as long as I have, I still try to hone things, improve things, you know, get get to the absolute nub of the joke, why this gets an okay laugh. So if some comics are a bit purist about these things, an okay laugh isn't good enough, it's got to hit the mark every time. Someone like Adam Bloom, um, you know, I think has got to absolutely be on it. Um, but mm. I... Uh, 
so I like that. It's always a work in progress. I think there's always things you can learn. So do you record every show you do? I try to. Yeah. Not every mm. single one. If I've got my tape recorder, if I remember to take my tape recorder with me, yeah. Or and then if I've done it, and it's been, if it's been an okay show, there's not much point listening to it. Well, actually, no. If it's been an okay show, I do listen back. If it's if it's gone really well, um, there's nothing to be learned really. If there's bits of jokes that aren't working, that's quite useful from that point of view. It is it is painful listening back. Yeah. God, I, I know what's. But I suppose I, if I wanted to be a real anorak about it, I could listen back to it and go, right, that laugh lasted four seconds. I wanted to last six. What can I do to? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's getting a bit intense about it. But, uh, but what kind of thing are you changing when you listen back? So are you literally taking out a word out of a uh, out of a sentence or or? A, I suppose so. Yeah, trying to hone bits down. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, or routines. Or I'm ha- I still I have a problem with get where I'm at at the moment is gags that consistently work um, that I'm not happy with. I want to have a consistency to this Sam Kinison or I don't know who else could you pick John Bishop or Mickey Flanagan. There's a consistency or Jeff Innocent who's on the circuit. You know, a consistency mm. of performance that you that doesn't. Um, so all deviate. Well, no, I, I think like a, a certain the best comics for me, the, the character is consistent, so you know what sort of a person, the persona, and if there are gags within what you're doing that mm. don't necessarily, and I have this argument with comics necessarily suit that persona, but still get a big laugh. What should yeah. you do? Should you keep it in there, um, uh, or ditch it? For example, I. I'm not a horrible dad. I get on with my kids. Bloody burn. I've got stuff about family and blah, blah, blah. and I've got a gag um, that works, but I'm not happy with it, and it's a real dilemma because it, it, you know. So the gag is um, uh, my son is 15 years old and he's just he's constantly swearing at me. And I said to him, I, I'd had enough. I said, I said if you swear at your father one more time. There'll be no screen time till the end of this week. And he said, well, roll on Monday, fuckface. <laughs> so, get, get to laugh. But I, there's something about it, Joe. I just, I go, he doesn't say that. He doesn't talk to me like that. Does that matter, though? You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, yeah. That's I'm, interesting that you actually... It bothers me. I'm going. Yeah, I always lo- don't want the joke to work because why? I say why it bothers me because in the mind of an audience, they're not sitting there going, "Oh," but there's somewhere there's maybe one point one percent grain of them going. You know, ten minutes into the act, oh, he's he's the bloke who's got a son and calls him a fuckface. That's not a very nice family. <laughs> oh, he, he's you know his son's a bit rude. You know, well actually. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that you say... Uh, um, I've, because I, I actually have seen uh, acts that are doing material... They're going to say, they're and, doing exactly that joke, and no, it works brilliantly. <laughs> uh, no, there are one or two acts that are, I do material, and I go, God, that's really... You're, that never happened to you. And, they're, and, they're, and they 
usually actually you'll always find that if an act is saying something that's completely a lie they'll always go this is true <laughs> they always yeah. say <laughs> yeah. and and that annoys me and uh, I'm gratified to know that yeah that you feel that way that you should be true to your act yeah, yeah. there are all these different t- you know there's Milton Jones would never say that or Tim no I, yeah, but, I, obviously I'm, I'm not saying that but I'm just saying that uh, for the for the type of act I want to be Mm. You know, which is, I suppose, you know, the likes of Mickey Flanagan or Jeff Innocent or any of those mm. other. You, there's, there's got to be a, a line of truth throughout. Mm-hmm. I think otherwise it's just, you know, do you know what I mean? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you entirely. But I mean, the have seen acts get do very successful stuff, and they're talking about a girlfriend that doesn't exist, or but but you believe it's possible. They could talk about a girlfriend that doesn't exist, but you believe that could happen. I mean, I don't I, I, think you could think. Would I really tolerate my son calling me fuckface? That's my point. Um, the, I mean, on that theme, I've got my. my uh, now, this is bet. This is a. This again isn't believable, um, but I think is better to. This is more to what I want to be doing. Um, it's not a great joke, but my daughter came back from school and said, "Daddy, daddy." Uh, she was in flinch tears. She's 12 years old. She said, Daddy, Daddy called. Uh, I said, What's the matter? She said, Emily called me the K word. And I got on the phone to the school right away. I said, You need to put me through to the English department because there's some spelling <laughs> issues we need to discuss here. <laughs> now, that, for some reason, for me, feels more not plausible, but that could possibly, you know. I'm yeah. not going to get on the phone, but she could have come back and said that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I used to do a gag when my kids were. My my son was born. I used to say, uh, "I'm knackered." All those what was it late nights and early mornings? Because fucked if I'm going home with a kid in the house. And so it was. <laughs> yeah. But it was nasty. Yeah. It made me out to be fucking nasty. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's a great gag, but there will be. Members of the audience are laughing and the next joke gets off. But there'll be a little grain, or maybe a big grain, in, and this is what, whether you want that or not, I don't know, but an audience going, oh, he's the bloke that hates his kids. Yeah. I know. What <laughs> <Can> you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I dropped it, but anyway, they grew up, couldn't do it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, yeah, it's, it's, I think the audience probably do know, yeah, they probably, they figure there's something not right there. Yeah, on a subconscious level. Yeah. Be like going on a really good, um, going out on a first date and then halfway through the date just dropping in just something, a little throwaway comment that just stays with you. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So if you actually, I I find, I I don't think I could write gags. I I have to, uh, I have to kind of find them on stage. You know, like, uh, I, I don't write them word for word at all. I have an idea of where it might go, and then and then I, f- I have to do a, a five minute open spot, you know, new yeah. material spot. And I'm never that confident to do that. It's funny. I need to have it written down, and then I'll work around it or play around with the idea, which is ridiculous. But yeah, maybe it's my discipline of writing. Write mm. it down, and then try and unpick it and make it more, you know, unwritten. I also mean unwritten, as it make make it feel natural, conversational. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So I've got I've got a routine that I've been doing for 
700 years about going on a speed awareness course and it's a proper four minute four and a half minute thing uh, I could say in my sleep but I try and again this is something Eddie Izzard used to say try and trip yourself up try and try and deliberately fuck yourself up in a routine so you're not just going blah, 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 blah. right 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 yeah what do you mean try and deliberately well just you know um if you say so, especially with a longer routine, just mess around with some of the facts. Keep the truth of the story, but as you're telling it, so it looks like it's it's not rehearsed and you've said this thing a thousand, you know, the audience yeah. wants to feel like you've... So kind, try and trip yourself up or put the order, put your closing bit at the start of the set. Yeah. And just so you've got to close with something really strong or or just, the, the you know, if you say, I don't know, it was Thursday morning, I went to the shops and... Uh, you know, and you say that a thousand times, change it to, you know, Friday Jeez. lunchtime and go, well, oh, I haven't said these words, be, you know, just, I don't know, yeah. little thing. Yes, quite good. Yes. I think it's quite good because if you catch yourself out, the audience love nothing, you know, from impro, they love nothing more than seeing you slightly stumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Louis K said that he used to put his weaker material at the very end so that he'd be forced to to make it better. Yeah. Close like his stuff. I do like his stuff, yeah. Do you? Yeah, I've just started watching his... No, I watched a really old one called Hilarious that I really like. I haven't watched his latest apologies for wanking over women. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that latest. It's at his website, isn't it? I haven't looked at it. Yeah, I'll have to look at it. Mm. Um, and that's interesting because somebody does improv, you do improv, and yet you, you stand up, you're very much seem to be very precise about what, how you say it and yeah with improv you haven't got that control at all <coughs> no like, no and, um, I don't know really yeah it, it seems to work the two disciplines but um, no the fear the, the idea of just going on with an idea doesn't thrill me I've got this idea right. about cheese I'll see how, I'll just throw it in the middle of the set see how it goes I'll be going oh no yeah, but I love this thing that comics have which I've noticed too, so with new material generally well, did you try that bit of material out at the at the gig no it'll either be no the gig was so lovely I wasn't going to try <laughs> it was so delightful did you try that bit no the gig was so awful I couldn't tell if it was going to work or not so <laughs> there's always a reason for not trying out a new bit yeah 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 yeah. I actually find that if, if I've got a new bit that I'm going to do it makes the rest of the set better because I'm not relaxed you know I'm really yeah wound up so it, it's better uh, because I'm not going through the motions then because I'm thinking right. oh we're in a, in 15 minutes I'm going to do that new bit so yeah. but, um, so, <laughs> so what are you what are you going to what do you think now that's happening do you think stand-up's going to take a bit of a knocking with the whole corona and all this <laughs> what I find crack. weird I'd love to know what you think um, hmm. is um when we come back from this, whenever it is, how is stand-up going to work as a sort of art form? Because nobody wants, no one, no one in the audience will want to hear about. Oh, you remember the Corona? Bloody hell! Oh, oh, here's some observations <laughs> I made about. Yeah, yeah. Now two meters of. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no. But if you don't address it, then it, uh, equally, I can't go on and go. You know, my, my son's been at school and uh, you know, or whatever, or talking about. So I find. That's going to be weird. Plus the fact that are people going to want to be sitting in close proximity? 
I can't see that uh, happening for uh, unless uh, they come up with a vaccine. I can't see it happen for about a year. What clubs? Yeah, well, I I don't think are uh, will be allowed. Uh, I mean, there could be clubs, but everyone will have to sit a meter apart so they won't be full. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, maybe people won't like coming out as well. It's weird, uh, isn't it? Or they may, they maybe they maybe they can't wait to get out. I don't know. I think people want to be entertained. If somebody can find a solution online, mm-hmm. I've, I've I've joined this thing called Scene Saver and put something up on there. Um, see what happens with that. People donate, but it's all a little bit cringy. The cap in hand, buy me a coffee, yeah. and uh, you know. Oh yeah, it's, coffee. Yeah, it's all a little bit. Yeah, uh, Mike's done all right out of it, so I shouldn't mock it. Um, yeah, but yeah. So uh, I think find a solution online. I've done a few little sketches online. Um, yeah, I did a thing about two meters. I don't know if you saw that. Um, I haven't seen that. Sorry. Well, that was that got like more view, two and a half thousand views, more views than I ever had for any of it. I was delighted with it. It was just a silly little. I wouldn't say it went viral, but it got you know more views than I've had with it for anything. So it's just me yeah. running around people at the park pointing a two meter tape measure at them and shouting oh, at them. Right. it's cool. just silly um, but doing stuff online I quite enjoy the challenge of having to come up with something and do something yeah 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 I I, I don't think stand up at all works online but yeah sketches and improv I think in the right format uh, I, yeah well listen thanks for having a chat it's been great and have you got you've got you, what age your kids I thought you could have said, have you got anything to sell? What age you <laughs> Sorry. Jake, no, Jake's, I, I, Jake's 15. He swears a lot, but he's very good at gardening. Sasha can make a cake. She's 12. Please don't talk to her for too long. And Ella's pretty <laughs> useless. She's eight. Right, uh, 15, so, 12 and eight. Yeah, right. Okay, the young enough. See, mine are 21 and 19, and it's oh, wow. they, they can uh, put on their own clothes and everything. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, so, I mean, I'm sharing a, a house with my 21-year-old son. How's that? Ah, he's good, yeah. He's still got assignments to do for college. He's studying uh, sound production, so he's got... He's still got one big assignment to do, and um, he's also in a band, and they're re- recording, writing and recording. Other members are writing things and sending them right. to him, and he does the production. And so all he's busy, stuff. he's being creative. And yeah, yeah, so... That's uh, perfect. Yeah, it's actually all right, this lockdown malarkey. Well, yeah, no, it's been all right, the lockdown. It's been the family all get on pretty well. Mm. Um, You know, it's just, but like you say, who'd have thought comedy could possibly be just completely on its heels? Yeah, I know. I mean, my last gig, I had, um, because I run a monthly gig in North London, and Hal Cruttenden came and did it, and we were all kind of taking the piss, going, oh, well, are you sure? Maybe, you know, and then he got, got coronavirus, but we were all going to go, you know, is this going to, is this going to be the last gig forever? Ha, 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 ha. And people were, mm. you know, it was packed out. It was a Saturday before it all. People were sort of being very blasé and joking about it all, and I was cracking jokes, going, oh, you know, it's, I don't know what the government's on about. It's just nonsense. Somebody ate a bat. Big deal. And then before mm. we know it, this fucking thing explodes. Yeah, it's very real. I feel like uh, it's like when the silent movies era ended or something. Um, yeah. 
So there will be casualties. We'll see, yeah, with clubs as well. I've never drunk so much in all my life. So, really? Yeah. Really? I, I, I find out... Consistently I... every day. Ah. See, I don't drink unless there's other people to drink with. Mm. But you've got people in the house. Or you, you can drink with your children. It's just you and your son is in the house. <laughs> yeah, it's just the two of us. Yeah. Um, what do you think will happen to places like the Laughter Lounge? <laughs> It's very hard to know. Because that that was a bedrock, wasn't it? I mean, that was that's been there for years. But. Yeah, yeah. And I did the very last weekend before they shut down, and they had, they had. Uh, was it quiet. Yeah, well, they had so social distancing was had been brought in, and he decided to stay open for the weekend. So in a big room that would hold about three hundred, there were like sixty people, and it was well, it was all right, but it was weird. It's one of my favourite gigs of all time. That one. Yeah, yeah, it's a good spot. Yeah. Well, so, do you remember when it was, it was actually an old cinema and, uh. I think so, yeah. And it started. I mean, yeah, I. It it had cinema seats still in there. Vaguely, yeah. I remember, um, doing a gig in, uh, (laughs) this is true. That shows how long I've been doing it in, um, Galway and my support act was Tommy Tiernan. Really? (laughs) Wow. And his joke was, the joke he did, I remember, was, my name is Thomas William Algernon Tiernan. Kids were very cruel at school. (laughs) (laughs) It was something, I didn't tell it as well as he did, but it was basically the punchline being twat. I remember it being very funny. Yes, I did a little circuit of um, Galway, Cork, uh, Derry, was it the Delacroix? Yeah, that's right. I think was it Cork Galway, Belfast, Derry. I think that's that was right. four Belfast days in a row. Shit bricks and yeah, mm. what's his face would compare Belfast. Um, Paddy Kilty. Paddy Kilty. Yeah, and he would like storm it, and they uh, yes, now bring on. I've done lots of local references that you've all enjoyed. Please bring on someone from England that has no frame of reference whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I remember doing it one night with. I can't remember what act, just some British act. And uh, we were driving over, and he said to he said to uh, Patrick Kilty in the car, "I was thinking of doing this." And then go on, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It was I'm like uh, it's a, oh, it's only my second time in Derry. <laughs> the last time I was in a uniform, He's, and, and Patrick said, "Yeah, yeah, that that they love that." Um, oh God. But luckily, what he, what happened was he got up and he went, to, uh, it's only my second time here. And someone in the crowd said, I had a last time you were in a uniform. So he didn't get to, because if he had said that, they would have killed him. Like it would have been the worst possible thing you could say. But of course, Patrick Kilty was like, yeah, yeah, go and say it. Oh, like, what a bastard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Imagine if the comic had, when the bloke shouted that out, gone, hey, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You bastard! Yeah. Thanks, Mark. It was great chatting to you. Thanks a lot. That was the wonderful Mark Mayer. What a lovely fellow. What a what a nice chap. I'd love to have spent the whole day hanging out with him in his garden. I wasn't in his garden. 
But you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so, uh, just, an, just to remind you, I am doing improv with the Dublin Comedy Improv every Monday night on Zoom. You'll find the link on the Dublin Comedy Improv social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Such at, well, actually just those three. And also, if you follow us, you will be in with a chance to win some beer, some O'Hara's beer. So have a look on that. Um, yeah, we're giving away, I don't know how many, I think three or four six-packs of O'Hara's beer every week. If you give us a follow, uh, may I just explain that you will be in with a chance of winning the beer if you give us a follow. You won't just give in everybody who follows us six bottles of beer we're not that full of beer oh god right so uh have a good uh rest of the uh week uh you know wash your hands all that i think you should all wear face masks i've got a face mask made by the wonderful sandra taylor homemade she made about two or three hundred of them, I think. And uh, I have it hanging in the hall where I have my keys. And I put it on before I go out. And uh, very few people are wearing them. But, I mean, if we all wore them, we'd be able to open up and get out and do all the normal stuff much quicker, I think. I don't know why we're not made all wear. We should all just be wearing them. I mean, at first I was a bit wary of putting one on because it does feel a bit weird. But once you get used to it, you just do it like putting on gloves or a hat or whatever. Uh, and I, I don't know why we're not all doing it. You know, they, you can get them. You can you can make them look cool and stuff. They should become a fashion item. Anyway, that's my tuppence worth. And... Uh, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, um, I've done very little research on vaccines. The only research I've done has been to try and, uh, counteract the anti-vax people. Uh, but hey, yeah, I think we should all wear ma- face masks. Okay. I'll see you the next time I'm on this podcast. I'm not sure when it will be and I'm not sure who I'll be talking to, but I'm sure it'll be splendid. At least I will be. Um, I don't know what who I'm talking to, but I'm sure they will be too. Okay, thanks a lot. See ya. Ta-ta. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.